Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. Thank you, Dave Slade, for the intro. And I will remember to put the Dave Slade intro onto this file, which I didn't do on the college podcast and last time. We'll remember to do that. We will remember to add our Paul DeYoung interview to the end of this podcast. That's right. No, well, we have an action-packed podcast today. It's Friday, May 6th. Happy anniversary to my wife. And... Uh, how I got married I, in the middle of college baseball season in the draft, I have no idea. I imagine your wife sitting there at the end of the night like, no, i got to listen to the Baseball America podcast. Oh, good. A uh, anniversary shout-out. Um, somebody will tell her. Uh, she, somebody will tell her. Um, we have so much to discuss today. We can go in the draft direction. We're going to talk some major leagues. We're going to talk some minor leagues. Hot sheet full of hot water is on the Baseball America website. Mock draft is on the website, uh, so a lot of We're snackable. Some time and on that. There's some snackable content there. There's some significantly digestible content. I was going to say, th- think of the uh, the top 50 scouting reports we posted. Snackable is like the the hot sheet where you can kind of go in and like it's like a bag of chips. Yeah. The the 50 scouting reports and there's many and, more and, to come. And the that's top 100 like, list. And the top 100 list, but the 50 scouting reports for subscribers. That's like, okay, you're at a Brazilian steakhouse and you're not going to need to eat for three more weeks. <laughs> and then the uh, the mock draft is like Golden Corral. It's a trough. Yeah. <laughs> it's a food trough. So, um, and <laughs> total aside, my daughter loves Golden Corral. The last time we went to Golden Corral, they were out of yeast rolls. No, How do you run out of yeast rolls? What is that? That's your whole raison d'etre. The Baseball America podcast here, not sponsored by Golden Corral. Which, of course, is a local business. You know, they're based in Raleigh. Did you know that? That's I their headquarters. Know. Anyway, uh, let's get back on track. <laughs> JJ said I was loopy. He was right. Um, let's start off with the Angels, JJ, because I saw you tweeting about it. We have the bad news of Garrett Richards, Tommy John surgery, yet another arm injury uh, for a young and, power arm in the big leagues. And Andrew Heaney, uh, potential uh, Jeff Pass from Yahoo reporting that he also has a UCL tear and is trying to rehab it. Which And, JJ, those are both college draft picks. Garrett Richards was a guy who was a college reliever for most of his career. Didn't become a starter really until his junior season. And Andrew then went Heaney, back into the pen with the Angels. Right. And Andrew Heaney was a guy who was a polished college left-hander, not an upside guy, not a big hard thrower. So he was supposed he, to be a move-fast guy, and unfortunately injuries have kept him from moving as quickly. He's had some moments, but injuries have, have well, slowed him. Well, he moves him. quickly. He just hasn't had a big ceiling yeah. yet, really. You know, But injuries have been a, a, a factor for sure. Um, injuries, but I mean, because this is also we're not even mentioning Tyler Skaggs for them, who has been has had in, significant injuries. You know, we went away, he come back, and now that he's come back. He's he's battling bicep tendonitis and is also not currently ready for the rotation. And that's not also counting C.J. Wilson, who has a shoulder injury. But wait, there's more. <laughs> so that's that really is right there. That is four fifths of their probably you know four. I would call it four six. Every team right. really at this point projects to have six to seven guys that you're counting on for your rotation. Well, in the Angels' case, four of them are are missing at least significant time this year. So who's left in the, with the Angels? That's part of the problem is that the Angels, you know, are number 30-ranked farm system with an anvil. It, even with the Marlins' troubles, it wasn't with, really that close. That was, this was, we ranked it Tyler Kolek hadn't blown his arm out yet, but even if you threw in the Tyler Kolek uh, Tommy John surgery, I still think the Angels are 30. Correct. I mean, that's with the Marlins at 29 take away their number one, which I will say, like... You don't take I, them away, but yeah. But just, that guy's hurt. Yeah. We still, I'd still take the Marlins. Mm-hmm. Um, Josh Naylor is uh, 
So, right, so so Garrett Richards, age 28 season, he was off to a good start. That's a big miss. You got Hector Santiago. You got uh, you know the, the right-handed Mark Burley, Jared Weaver. You got a long-time John Manuel Faith. <laughs> Mark Burley's like, no, 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 I throw harder now. Pretty much. <laughs> um, but Santiago, Weaver, Papa Tropiano, I guess this means that Matt Shoemaker and his 9.15 ERA come back on down. JJ, what can this team with so little farm system depth do to uh, help its big league rotation when they have an offense that is built for the now? Uh, well, for one, they are a team that these veterans who are out there, whether it's Tim Lincecum, whether it's John Danks, whether it's Tom Malone, they they are the team that most logically they can offer two things for these guys. I, I don't know if Lincecum because Lincecum feels like he's going to have some choices. I think Kyle Loesch is out there also as a guy who's looking. Jeremy Guthrie they, hasn't retired yet. They they can offer these guys. Hey, we have let's go to go to AAA for three starts and then boom, you're here. Because they don't have a lot of great art. Nate Smith is a potential option at AAA. Yeah, not on the forty man roster, by the way. Right, it hasn't had to be productive yet. The good, I know. The good news is for they have them, some spots. You you could find a spot on that forty man to uh, to put to put Nate. But Nate Smith, Corey Rasmus is starting, I believe tonight. As we record this, I believe he's your Friday starter. Well, Corey Rasmus, who was their September in their rotation, but as a three four inning guy not, when they won ninety eight games. This is when the Angels. This is something the Angels have experience with. It's not like that they don't. They are your college team's Sunday Johnny Holstaff. I That's mean, right. they, they are the, the MLB version of that. They don't have a problem with throwing a guy out there for three, followed by two, followed by one, followed by one. So there are options like that. But for the long term, when you look, I mean, you look at the AAA Salt Lake, I, I go to JJ Coop 36, I listed it out. Uneski Maya, I've, I'm going to lose that bet. Are I'm you gonna, kidding I'm me? I'm going to lose that bet. Because I, I had a bet that I think Uneski Maya would win 15 games in his uh, big league career. This is the team that gives me a slight, slight hope. Because Uneski Maya is part of the AAA rotation. Wow. Um, that really is a stunner that Uneski Maya is there. Chris Jones, not so much. Zach. Uh, Kyle Kendrick. Nate Smith. Tyler Skaggs when he's healthy. Zach Nuding. Oof. And then you go to Double A. Kyle McGowan was up and made one start for them. Kyle McGowan, I think you have to at least consider into this group. Now they like Victor Alcantara, but he's not having a great year in Double A. Live arm Latin American pitcher with some power stuff. Um, you know, they have uh, Alex Blackford, who I think a good year. I do not recall Alex Blackford. He's having, a Colorado kid. I'm supposed to know the Colorado kids. Ha- having a good year. I, I, I don't think you're ready to say he's a couple of good starts in double-A makes you ready for the big leagues or anything like that. But the point is, is they don't have really significant internal options. Correct. You really are, uh, again, you, you probably are having to look from the outside. And again, they don't have options as far as they're constrained more now than they've been a couple of years ago. The Angels had a truly horrific bullpen at this time in the year right? and a very bad farm system, and they were able to fix it because what they were able to do is they were able to trade. <laughs> they made it up for their for quality and volume. They were yeah. able to trade pretty much anyone was not nailed down. Jose Rondon. Uh, who was the other guy they traded in that deal? I'll have to look it up on the baseball but they, they, were, they acquired Houston Street. They acquired multiple relievers, and they traded Zach Bornstein in a trade. They traded... A number of guys who were... They leveraged what they had. Right. But it is much easier to make trades to fix a bullpen. Much easier than it is to say to make trades 
to fix a rotation, especially when they are also very close to the luxury tax threshold and have been doing everything in their power to avoid tripping over that. So that was you really a, have a team that's the, – the, the, the best way to put it is, is I understand in many ways what they've done. This is a team that has, if not the best player in baseball, one of the top two or three in right. Montreal. And really, over the last five years – He's the best. He's the best player in baseball. Yep. I would say if you at this moment you could argue Bryce Harper, and I think you'd make a good argument. But that trade, by the way, was Taylor Lindsay, R.J. Alvarez, Elliot Morris, and Jose Rondon for uh, Trevor Gott and Houston Street. A they trade the trade. Angels would make a hundred times out of a hundred. Yes, a thousand out of a thousand. Yeah, oh, absolutely. But so, but they, so they have Mike Trout, and they had when Mike Trout arrived, they had this core of established guys as well. They had Jared Weaver. They had, you know, you, you had guys. Yeah, they were getting C.J. Wilson. They, they, were, they had the Wilson. financial wherewithal to go get an Albert Pujols. Right. You put it all together, and they're, and and they're understandably a win-now team. It is remarkable, though, that if this season does turn out poorly, which they're under 500 right now, and the trend line's not good when you, as we just said, four of your six or top six or seven starters are, are probably going to miss at least significant time this year. With all that being, and, and that does not count the fact that you have starters right now, like you said, you got Matt Shoemaker in there who's been awful. Yeah. You have Jared Weaver who, if he can keep up a successful season all year pitching at the velocity he's pitching at, that is, he is a, he is a true maestro. Because Dude, I, lo- I love Jared Weaver. I mean, the competitiveness that I remember hearing about when he was a college freshman at Long Beach State. He had one of, if not, it's probably the short list of top five college baseball seasons of all time as a junior and he's had a great major league career mm-hmm. I mean, you know, a great one i mean if he had been able to maintain his arm strength a little bit the last few years he would have been pushing into this borderline hall of fame category because he was just consistently one of the five at his peak he was one of the top five pitchers in the american league year in year out he was winning a lot of games logging a lot of innings but now i mean it just it's all grit. He gets. He he does it. What success he has is all on grit, and it's uh, it's hard to watch. And but, in this era of velocity, it's even harder to watch. He's like a right-handed Frank Tanana. But it's unreal. You, what you have now is you have this team that has been built to try every year to win now. And the fact of it is, as you mentioned, they had a 98 win year, and they did, and then they got swept by the uh, Royals. Sorry, they they were part of the Royals. You know, amazing run. But that's it. That is the extent of, so far, the payoff of this. Mike Trout is now starting to get expensive. You still, hey, it's great. You have Mike Trout. You don't complain about that. Albert Pujols is getting older and older, and that contract has many a year still left to run. Indeed. They're paying Josh Hamilton for multiple more years Oof. To, to play sporadically for one of the other teams in their division. Yeah. I, and they again, they've even. And now their former general manager, who lost a power struggle with their manager, is, is now running the Seattle Mariners. And, I'll, and doing I'll a good a, job. And I'll, I know that most of the key pieces for the Mariners are the guy who are helping putting them in first place are the guys who were assembled previously. The they'd be like Robin Cano, Nelson Cruz, but Jerry Depoto's work on the margins of this franchise of this uh, big league roster are paying off so far, and that he got anyone other than Mike Zanino to be the big league catcher. And Huge not only win. that, but 
Kettle Marte having a really nice debut year uh, as a full-time shortstop, just you know, being so far been fairly steady. But Cano's having a monster year. And the other part of it is is that, and they also are putting in another a new culture there. Zunino, Zunino is your PCL right. Player of the Month, right? Which is great news for him and them from the standpoint of, and they didn't call him up. They didn't basically say, "Hey, you had a good three weeks, so here you go." They've told Mike Zunino, "We're gonna let you do this." And see if you actually can regain what we thought you had when we drafted you. And so far, we're seeing signs that maybe that maybe that reclamation project is going to have you know have a happy ending. Right. Which the reality is, which it is, because the reality is is that the Mariners you you do have to look at it and say what killed them over the last five years. It's really been guys misses. who seem like they were big league ready. It's been misses on guys who. When they hit the big leagues, Mike Zanino moved way too quick. I mean, Mike Zanino, if he spends the whole year in AAA this year, I don't think he will, but if he does, that'll be more minor league at-bats this year than he may. I could end up with more minor league at-bats this year than he had in his career. Right. The thing that really, if you're looking at the Mariners and what's been the issue, the number one thing has really been misses at the top of the draft. Not getting enough out of Dustin Ackley, the number two pick, getting zero out of Danny Holton. The number two pick in 2011, getting zero out of really less than zero out of Mike Zanino, second, third overall pick in 2012. And that kind of helps us segue to the draft, JJ, because that's the other thing that's put the Angels in the position they are in. The Angels compound their number 30 far. They've made some good picks. But A, they've traded them. But B, one of the ways, if you're going to trade draft picks, guys you draft and then you trade, one of the ways to supplement that is a Latin American program, an international program. And as we've t- talked about when we had the podcast with Ben Badler, just when they were starting to make a little progress internationally, they, they, you know, they lost Mark Russo and, and they're putting the plan, plan back even, together. But and they even were, when they've done that, they they've traded those guys hold. away. Right. They were starting from such a deficit that uh, they're very far behind draft-wise. They're very far behind internationally. Um, it, it's it's a disaster, really. Their their I, farm system. It's again, I, I'm not mocking the trade because Anderson Simmons is a very key part of their team, obviously. But they traded away Chris Ellis and Sean Newcomb in the off season. When we talk about their starting pitching depth, that is their starting pitching depth. Their starting right. pitching depth is now pitching for the Braves. You know, it's one of those things that they've done this time after time. You could put together a rotation of guys that they've traded away right. who are currently in the big leagues. You can put together that was a, good a lineup. You know, it really is. It's something where it's not that, and they, and you're right. They haven't also. They've given away. They've lost draft picks to sign free agents, yep. which means that there's been years where it's like, hey, it's seventy something. Exactly. The Angels are getting the pick. Exactly. JJ, what's your take? We'll wrap up on the big league. What's your take on the? We're uh, very ALS centric here on this podcast, but what's your take on the Astros and their sputtering start? Despite uh, Jose Altuve has been insane. Besides for the Jose Altuve, is basically slugging, outslugging everybody in baseball other than Bryce Harper. It's incredible. And yet, um, and, you know, Colby Rasmus has seven home runs. Carlos Correa is off to a solid start, a good start. Their pitching has been what, what's up there, but not yeah. just the pitching. I mean, like they, they, it's a very uneven lineup with a lot of holes. Three, four holes in the lineup right now. Um, and their pitching's been bad. What, what do you what do you make of what are their chances that the Astros get better? I, I think I think it's still pretty significant for a couple of reasons. One, I do think that unlike what we're talking about with the uh, Angels, the Astros have some options that they can turn to. As if their if their pitching staff uh, continues to be a problem, 
Did Which they? it probably will, because Would there's some natural regression in their bullpen, uh, and they are the lowest fastball velocity team in the major leagues. And But they have some guys that they can turn to to try to fix that internally, or if they want to go out there and make moves to try to fix it externally, they have the ammunition to do that. They do, but at this point, you know, they're already... What seven games under five? Uh, I mean, they're nine games under five hundred. Right? They're seven, eight games back, seven and a half back. At the end of April, then history probably tells you it's already too late. No. to make up that ground. You don't think so? No. Where were, if we rewind this to last year at this time, uh, where were the Rangers? I don't know. I, I want to say that they were, were they nine games under five hundred. I, 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 I could be. I, it could be that my memory is faulty. But what I remember, and I'll try to look this up while we're well, but right, but uh, but in general, uh, I'm not saying there yeah. aren't cases, but the numbers are probably telling you. That no, no, you're I, not I, I, no, I'm saying is, is, and I'm saying no. I think this early on, it's. it's there, I remember an Alan Schwartz column about uh, like it's, if you it's a over, very poor indicator. Right. It's a poor indicator for you. I'm saying it is an indicator that you are in trouble. But I am saying, like, I do... I think, th- actually, I think the numbers actually def- say that it's a very good indicator. If you're six or seven games back at the end of April, it means you're not a contender. Has been the general history of 120 years of Major League Baseball. So, obviously, there are more playoff spots. So I think the numbers, the math is right, different the in the last 20 years. You- it's not massively different. And, uh, and basically, the question is, you got to leap over four teams as well. So, at least in your division... And uh, you know, and talk about the rest of the American League. I think I think the Astros' big issue is this uh, hasn't just been the bullpen; it's the starting pitching, and really the, the fact that they only had one hard thrower in Lance McCullers in that rotation, and they have pitching help, JJ. But at the same time, how much of that pitching help? How can you? I, I like their starting pitching options in the minor leagues. I don't like them to be impact big leaguers right off the bat. The, to, to answer the question you were asking, the Texas at this time last year was ten and May fifth last year they were ten and sixteen and they were seven and a half games back. And they're I, right there. So that's same, basically about the that, same. That's thing. one that just jumped out to me from the standpoint of like that was one in that same division just a year ago. It was pretty unlikely for them to do what they did. I mean, and they and they added Cole Hamels in, right. in, in July. You're gonna, yeah, you have to. They had to make a pretty significant move. So the, the Astros have the depth for it. It seems like that's a team at this that's time, a little bit of trouble. Years ago, at this time, two years ago, the Royals were six games back in their division. Uh, you know, so that's and uh, and the Pirates were eight games back in their division at this time two years ago. What I'm saying is, is it happens. There are, I'm saying it's hard. Right, it's hard. And those two teams were ta- more talented than Houston, especially on the mound. I think they were definitely more They're, talented on the mound. There were more talent, but I do think I think those teams fit in the same. You know, I, I don't think that there's. I would say that Texas. I mean, Texas at this time last year looked like that their pitching, their rotation was going to be. It was in shambles because of the uh, Darvish injury, certainly, and they did, but they didn't have Hamels. But by the way, speaking time, of speaking of a team, we, we're going to get the draft. But I am really impressed. The Rangers. You want to talk about a team that has so many options open to them right now? The Rangers are a team with Mazzaro doing what he's done. Right. Which pretty much, he's already given you the you can't send him down message. Right. No, he's he's too too important to the team. With Mazar doing what he's done, and with the really the depth that they have at AAA. I know Gallo's hurt right now with a hamstring injury, but Profar, Gallo, Brinson, number of guys who are not far away on the line as far as the lineup, and then you throw in I mean, this right. team is is got. 
Uh, I got a lot of options ahead. They have options. Uh, here's the real issue: uh, the the Rangers are blowing up in my mind a lot of what we know, are, say about contending teams, because I thought you're supposed to be strong behind the plate. I thought you're supposed to have some sound catching, and they did it last year with C, uh, with Chris Jimenez and Ramos and Chirinos. This year they're doing it with Chirinos, who's now hurt, Brian Holiday, and Brett Nicholas, who's I think they just sent down, and Bobby Wilson. Don't the Rangers have to get a catcher at some point, an everyday no. catcher? And apparently not. No. Is there a Molina the in the house? The answer is no. That's the thing is, is that there are – the great thing about baseball is is that there are – we've talked about this, and we. this is one of the things I love about it is, is that there are so many different ways you could do this. Right, right. And they're doing it in the way that it's a, seems it's a great counterintuitive. Matt Eddie point. It's a great Matt Eddie point about the variety of ways you can win. He loves – when there's a variety of ways to win, That's and what, the, the Rangers are showing us this year, there's a one other. Here's a, here's a different way to win with an army of ca- a college of catchers basically behind them. A board. college of catchers, none of which profile in any way. Several of these profile as I would call them the third catcher profile, the guy who sits in AAA and gets 20 games a year. That's pretty much what they the cycle Corky through. Miller. I always call Corky Miller the third catcher, the guy who got who never got more than like 30 games in a year, but often got 15. It's kind of amazing. It's it's really stunning, but that's how they're doing it. And you'd think that that would affect their pitching. No, yeah. Hamels, Perez, Colby Lewis, even AJ Griffin, great scrap heap. Uh, always loved AJ Griffin back from his time at USD when he was uh, San Diego when he was on the USA team. And I said something to him, and he just was like, I, I can't remember how I started the conversation. I just remember that he finished it with, "All I know is I don't belong here." And that, that was AJ Griffin's self evaluation, and. Uh, he's had that that's, attitude that ever that's since. That's our segue. Uh, and I, I love that's how he's kept it there. That's our segue, which is is that we are coming into a draft that is it, – it sets up differently, I think, than, than a lot of teams would like from the standpoint of it's a draft that is, is, is heavy in high school arms. There's that word again, heavy. But there's more high school arms at the top than there are college arms. Yes, and more high school bats at than the top college bats. than college bats. And yet, as we get closer to June 9th and the first day of the draft, the college bats and the college arms are going to be rising. The urge to kill will be fading, as will the high school arms. It's just going to happen. Right, and, because and, it, happens it happens every, every year. year. So I tried in the mock draft to figure out which are the college bats and or college arms on the rise, J.J.? And uh, we both have regions of the country uh, that we're doing for the more granular coverage. Um, I'm, I'm the West. You're the Midwest. Who's the, who are the college arms and college bats that you like in your region? Who do you think has well, some helium? Let's start it with, because you just did the mock. Let's start it, even though he's not in our region. So we have, in our, in your, in our latest mock, We've got you've got Puck from Florida, the left-hander, yeah, AJ, AJ Puck. Puck, going number one, and, and kind of what that, I mean. It seems like just the perfect segue to it, which is is that this is a very unusual year, and that you have AJ Puck, who is without uh, by acclamation is the number one college pitching prospect in this draft, and it's by acclamation not a Steven Strasburg, David Price type year. Right. It's not that he's not very good. He would fit in the top of the draft, one, two, three. In most any year you do this, it's not something where he is—he's really like a guy who should be the number two, number three college pitching prospect. Right. But what is shocking about this is—and this fits when you ask the question of what in front of our region. Really, there is no one. There is 
there is no college pitcher yet, and there's still time because there is a recency bias. If you do it yeah. in the last few weeks of the regular season and then you carry it through your conference tournament and you carry it into yeah. the regionals, that carries a lot of weight. But as it is right now, is it going to be Jordan Shutt? I kind of feel like when it's all said and done. I think it's Dakota Hudson. It, I think it's going to be Dakota Hudson. I know you had a call the other day that, no, was, no, but, that was but, not good. No, no, Dakota but Dakota Hudson. Hudson was good again last night. He was very good. It was actually excellent last night yeah. against Missouri. And it was the stuff. And I, he does it, and he is more conventional looking doing it than. Yeah, it's 6'5 body. Big body. Um, you know, it's a fresh arm. He was good in the cape. You've ruined me on Dakota Hudson. How did I ruin you on Dakota Hudson? Oh, because I made a comp to Chris Stratton. You. <laughs> I had you at Chris Stratton. There are parallels to Chris there Stratton. There are parallels. This Mississippi is... State, guy who relieved first two years, became a starter his junior year, jumped up draft boards. There are a lot of similarities to Chris Stratton. I think the thing is that, that I have back in the back of my head is Tennessee prep class of 2013. Ah. Which is amazing, amazing. And I'll just I'll, I'll say it again, because I said it at the time, and I was talking with somebody last night who said, yeah, I remember you talking about this three years ago. And I just remember noticing, like, wow, this is an incredible. And incredibly, I only gave it, here's the, the nuts thing. I gave Tennessee four stars that year. And the reason for that is that it was a bad year for Vanderbilt. Um, the highest drafted player at Vanderbilt was Kevin Zomek. And I said, hey, you know, Vanderbilt will be back on top of the draft the next two years with Tyler Beattie, a sophomore, and Carson Fulmer, a freshman, leading the way. Correct. Did not have freshman Dansby Swanson because he didn't play that year. He was hurt. But um, pretty much to wrote about in the state list, which is another argument for not killing the state list, which I've been trying to kill the state list for years. We shouldn't kill the state list. I'm just I love the state list. And you're right. I, I'm I, wrong. I, I, I mean, I'm the one who's like, I, I really have to get my 500 written a week in advance because I really enjoy writing up the guys who are not going to get drafted, who are going to go to college, and then we'll see them three years later. And that's – so I'm trying to pull up my 2013 Tennessee state list because it's just – it just dominates this year's draft. And I thought it could at the time. The guy who, and the, here's the craziest thing, the guy who was at the top of the Tennessee State list that year is Kyle Serrano, who almost was drafted in the first round that year, backed up a little bit late in the year, and he really hasn't been the same since. It's a short peak as a high school senior. So it was banner year, four stars, but not one for the books because of the Vanderbilt thing. So one, Kyle Serrano. Two, Kevin Zomack drafted. Three, Jordan Sheffield. We'll see him in this draft. Six, Will Crow, seven, Trevor, Guns of Clifton, my favorite, one of my favorite Clash songs, Guns of Brixton, I believe it is, but it's always Guns, Guns of Clifton in my, in my head for Trevor Clifton. Only, uh, one of only two high school players in the state of Tennessee who even signed that year. Um, number uh, 11 was Tony Kemp, by the way. 13, Dakota Hudson, who was 317 on the BA 500. Then uh, Zach Godley, big leaguer at 19. Then you go to the high school guys. Hayden Stone at 21. Will Craig at 23. Who right now is making a very strong case to be at least ACC Player of the Year. Very, very intriguing player. And I'm leaving somebody out from that prep, prep class, aren't I? There's Nick Senzel, else. right? Nick Senzel was not on my list. Nick Senzel was not in the top 45 high school players for me that year. He That's wasn't the best out. player on his team. Also left out Brian Reynolds who is at uh, Vanderbilt, and will go in the first round, potentially, if not a comp round. So you're looking for college bats in this year's draft. Will Craig, 
Brian Reynolds, Nick Senzel. That's three of the top college backs in the draft, all Tennessee prep class. You're looking for college arms, the number two and number three guys, both could be Tennessee prep class of 2013 in Dakota Hudson and Sheffield. And then Will Crow is an X-Factor. He's a, had Tommy John surgery. Hayden Stone's an X-Factor. He had Tommy John surgery, pitching again for Vanderbilt. So the impact of that 2013 Tennessee prep class will be significant in the first round of the 2016 draft. But I do want to, so let's go back though. So again, Phillies pick one. We've in this mock we have AJ Puck going one. Let's talk, let's kind of like blow yeah. over that because I, I do feel like, and this is maybe a misconception on my part, but because it's Twitter and Twitter is not the, the be all end all of, of opinion and all. But I do get the feeling that there are a lot of Phillies fans who think that this draft board lines up as there's Jason Groove, right? And there's everyone, and else. then there's everyone else, and that is. To me, a nothing against Jason. Jason Groom is an excellent pitching prospect. Yes, but there is, there is no way that this is Jason Groom and everyone else because you can make a very strong argument. We have, you know, we came out for our top hundred, and we have Puck higher than him on the board. Let's just let's just measure. We could just we could do it one of two ways, JJ. Let's talk, you you choose. Do you want to break down the top three prospects in the discussion that we had yesterday, which I've erased, otherwise we could just insert it right in here. You erased it. I erased it. Or second of all, do you want to just compare AJ, I mean, uh, Jason Groom, just say to Brady Aiken? Because Brady Aiken was Let's a better prospect three. at the time. Let's do the three. Oh, okay, I'll just, I'll just get that out of the way. Brady Aiken was a better prospect at the time. The makeup off the charts for Brady Aiken, that's a question for Jason Groom. But if you're comparing Groom, Pint, and Puck, Three very different guys. So you got a high school right-hander, a high school left-hander, and a college left-hander. First off, you got Puck as a three-pitch guy. Fastball, slider, change-up. So we've had some scouts who've complained to us that he throws too many change-ups. Um, but when he's right, he pitches with a six fastball, if not better. Yeah, I was going to say, and you he could, pitches and you with could a argue six seven. slider, if not better. And he's flashing an average change. And it's a big body. The body's a minus for A.J. Puck. It's not a... It, I shouldn't say it's a minus. It's not for some people they see a durable body, but a lot of guys see wide hips. Just don't see too many guys that size in the big leagues. I keep forgetting who the body comp that I got on him was, but it's a bigger, fleshier, left-handed it, body. It, it's a right-hander. It's, right not a, it's, a, it's a right-hander versus left-hander, but you you hear a little some of the same things that you heard with Mark Appel that I heard with Mark Appel, where it's like. Again, a little bit wide in the, you know. Gotcha. Um, yeah, as far as that physical description, I definitely think he's more of a competitor. I don't hear the same not no, I'm talking, I'm talking about the body. body. I'm trying to think of another left-handed. There is a lefty, fleshy-bodied guy out there. And I'll think of it. But, but A.J. Puck doesn't look pretty in a uniform. Jason Groom's body a little bit better. It's a physicality, present physicality. It's like six, he's listed like alternately 6'5 or 6'6. Six, six. I want to, we need the tape measure. 220 already. So is he maxed out? Is there more to go? Is he going to get bigger? He's only 17 years old, but he has outrageous physicality for his age and size. I, I, I've had some comparisons of him to Carlos Rodon physically, um, which I, I like the physical comparison. He does it, he, and he does it easier than Carlos Rodon. Right. Um, but that said, there is some stiffness and rigidity to the delivery for some of the guys I've talked to about right. Jason Groom. B, his change is behind puck. See the fastball and his curveball. It's curveball versus slider. So for some organizations, that's going to be a check already for Jason Groom. Curveball over slider. For other organizations, that's not going to matter as much. Um, but the other factor is the, the makeup. The questions about the immaturity, these youthful indiscretions 
that Jason Groom has had in his career. There's and, still a lot of uncertainty of going from New Jersey high school to IMG back to New Jersey. There's just that is out there. To me, I'll take that. To me, the reason that I was making the case for Puck over Groom comes back more to if you've got two guys who are similar. Mm-hmm. Who, Which they are. I, I don't think you could say that Groom stuff is clearly heads and shoulders ahead of Puck. I would say it's not. I would say in terms of grading their stuff out, they're similar. That being said, if that's the case, give me the college guy. Give me the college guy for a couple reasons. That's one, the environment we're in for sure. One, Puck has done it pretty consistently. He had he had a couple of hiccups early in the season. He's had two really good stretches each of the last two years in the SEC, or last year toward the end of the year and this year where he has been, if not the best starter in the SEC, one of the best, and combining stuff, throwing strikes. Now, I wouldn't say command, but he's thrown strikes. And then uh, you could mix that in with playing against a very high level of competition. So he's done that. And the other thing is, is he has already made it through. This doesn't mean he's going to stay healthy. But he has made it through some of the toughest years for a pitcher to stay healthy. Right. And what we have seen with the top high school arms of this decade is it is really hard for them to get to age 21 without missing a year to be cut on. That's, it's really, really hard. That's the truth, Ruth. And A.J., again, it does not mean that Puck's not going to end up having surgery himself. But A.J. Puck, you are he's closer to the big leagues. You right now, you draft A.J. Puck, and you logically can believe, if you're the Phillies and you draft Puck, you say, okay, by the end of 17, if we're not putting this guy in a rotation and he's healthy by the end of 17, something went wrong. Right. Because we what we have seen with... And this was one of the more, things, fun, the more fun things I got to do with, with doing an SBA in recent years was look at the college pitchers who are drafted at the top of the draft and when they make their big league debuts. The guys who take a long time, pretty much it's because they're not very good. Right. I mean, See Mark Capel. Right. Compare that to Carlos Rodon. Carlos Rodon was, Two in, starts in, AAA basically. was in the minor leagues for about a minute and a half. Chris yep. Sale was in the minor leagues for about a minute and a half. Tim Lincecum was in the minor leagues for a minute and a half. The Rays... Do everything as a, a very patient way. David Price was there very quickly, so you know by if their you, standards, he was there extremely quickly. You know if you take a guy at the top of the draft, college pitcher, and he's good. Again, barring injury, he'll be there quickly. If you take, if you're the Phillies, and the Phillies, I, you know, it's been a great, it's been a way better than expected start for the Phillies. Right. If you're the Phillies and you start thinking that this rebuilding effort is really going to pay dividends in 17, but especially 18 and 19. Right. All things being equal, take the guy who will be helping you in 8, 17, late 17, or maybe earlier than that, but 17, 18, 19, over, if you take Groom, if you take Pint, just if you look at track record, recent history, history yeah. what you are saying is, is that guy will probably help you in 19, 20, 21. Even the guy in the Jose Fernandez who got there quick still got hurt. Still not sure really what Jose Fernandez is going to be career-wise. We're just not sure. 2011 was supposed to be a great high school draft. And it was high school pitching draft. And yet Bundy hurt. Just coming back. Bradley still hasn't established himself. Jose Fernandez has established himself. But, you know, he's still like I, two years ago. I was like, hmm, Garrett Cole or Jose Fernandez? Not anymore. Garrett Cole. Mm-hmm. Jose Fernandez further back. 
Robert Stevenson, still good. Like Joe Ross, uh, you know, good pick from that 2011 draft. He's a rotation guy. He ends up being one of the better guys from that 2011 and draft. And again, a lot of times, and this will be this is germane to the Riley Pint discussion. But a lot of times, even the guys who end up being really good high school right-handers who make it, it does. It often feels like that you are really talking five, six, seven years after the draft is when you start really, they start to really pay dividends. Meanwhile, the college pitchers who were in that 2011 draft, uh, Sonny Gray, Garrett Cole, even Trevor Bauer, who's been a disappointment, there's been some, you've gotten something back from, from him. Um, even Alex Meyer, still hope for Alex Meyer. I mean, like he's back in the big leagues, made a start. Um, it's, you know, really, Joe Ross, one of the better, <laughs> one of the better high school picks from that draft. Recent history is working against the high school arms. But then you have Riley Pint. And I'll be honest with you, Riley Pint, to me, is the most likely Hall of Famer in this draft class. He's the guy who's different. He, he's the different one. He, I don't know what he's, Riley Pint's going to be, but he's almost incomparable. But, We've never had a high school pitcher who threw 100 miles an hour but also was a four-pitch guy, J.J., and, I mean, had, and, again, we've had essentially three guys in the draft era, high school guys, in the radar gun era. Let me call that. That's I a better one. In the radar gun era, we've had three high school pitchers who 100 miles an hour was not something that you – that was not fourth. a comet. He's the fourth. Cole, uh, uh, Cole Griffin, Lucas Giolito, Tyler Cole. See, but Lucas Giolito, to me, 100 for Lucas Giolito in high school, especially because he had the arm problem as his... But his, we did a whole story on him hitting 100 earlier that year. I'm saying, he hit 100. That's a comet. You, if you were there on the right day... But he was the only comet. There's nobody else who's even a comet. Right, so that's what, why I think no, he still qualifies. I heard, no, I heard Grant Holmes may have... It depends on the gun. No way. I, I know, but I'm saying... I'm just telling you, no way in hell Grant Holmes hit 100 miles an hour. But There's two people I could think of who would have said that. And I don't believe either one of them. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying, though, is, is that if you go to Riley Pint, if you go to Riley Pint start, and this was true of Cola, too, yeah. and to an to extent Griffin, this is where the thing, they're different right. than Giulio. If you go to Riley Pint start, you're a scout, you sit behind home plate, you got your gun, and you don't see triple digits, you feel like you didn't see... You got cheated. Right, you didn't see Pint. Because Pint is like, did I see 102? But and, but that, it is, I, and he I is vast. Gio, I do think Giulio is in this same discussion because he didn't pitch much that spring. That was one of the reasons. Right. But he was acknowledged at the time as different, just like hey, Cole agreed. Griffin, agreed. just like Tyler Kolick, and just like Riley Pint. But the thing, and no, I think Pint really is more comparable of all these guys because Colt Griffin, everyone said at the time, like, Colt yeah. Griffin came from nowhere, and he was drafted right. where he was solely, solely on the basis of He's he hit 100. Exactly. There was nothing else there. There was no other attribute. Good body. Right. But there was nothing else there where you said it was, this guy has as good a fastball as we've ever seen, so we're drafting the fastball. Yep. Tyler Kolek, if you were drafting, when Tyler Kolek went two overall, and if you were comparing Tyler Kolek to Riley Pint, I know no other way to put it. There is, and this There's is not, chasm. this is not retroactive. This no. is not because Tyler Kolek studies, struggled since. Tyler Kolek's breaking ball, Tyler Kolek's changeup, Tyler Kolek's physicality, his athleticism, in none of those attributes in any way are as good. And that doesn't mean Kolek's not impressive in a lot of these, right. but Riley Pine, Riley Pine could, if Riley Pine had wanted to play basketball, he was a very good basketball player. There's athleticism there. Right. 
Right. And again, by the way, playing basketball, one thing I love that we've talked about before is, is that playing basketball and being a good basketball player by itself, you have to go a little further on that and kind of ask the question, okay, because Andrew Brackman was a <laughs> Division right. One yeah. ACC starter. starter as a basketball player. That indicates he was a really good basketball player. I will but say, he was very big. His yeah. athleticism, his body control. I'll say, I'll give Andrew this break. I agree with you on those things. He did have that hip injury, mm-hmm. so I'm just not quite sure that we ever saw him at his best physically in professional baseball. But still, I think your point remains. And then Dylan Batanzas is another monster-sized, basketball-sized guy, but not a premium athlete. Right. Could right. start. Riley Pint, from every report we have, the athleticism is... Is is significantly superior to most of this phylum. Yes. To use an old BA staffer, Clint Longenecker term. Absolutely. It, to, it's a, he's different than that phylum in that way. You, Very you, true. And if you look at it, as you said, this is a guy who throws, who sits 97, 98. This is a pitcher who's changeup. Let's we're comparing him to Jason Groom. Jason Groom. His velo will go up much better than this. You can see 96, you can see 97 as best. Right. But his comfort zone... 91-94. That's his comfort zone. I know right. there's some games where he's lower. Riley Pint's change-up comfort zone is 90-91. And by the way, that's not because it's too firm. That's because you've got the proper 8 to 10 mile an hour separation, separation. on it. And it's, got, it's a legitimate pitch already. Really, you're talking about Riley Pint's stuff at the amateur level the way we're talking about Noah Syndergaard's stuff in April at the big league level where it's like, wait a minute, what are we seeing here? 100 this miles is an hour every time and a not, mid-90s slider? That's like a different animal. That's Riley Pint. I'm not saying he's going to do that from three, four years from now? Oh, wait a minute. Maybe I am. I don't put anything past Riley Pine. If you now, said who is, who's going to be the – if you said every one of these guys reached their ceiling, yeah, then Riley Pine's the best of these guys. And Correct. Close. And that's, uh, that's what I think. That said, high school right-hander's never gone 1-1. A. B. Head whack. Head jerk. However you want to talk it. However you want to describe it. When you watch it. You don't describe Riley Pine as smooth. There's no, there's no, there's no silk here. As I like to, we've talked about it. The it's the stiff front side where basically he lands. Where we to break it down a little bit. Someone's wondering what do you mean by stiff front side? Okay, his front foot that he lands into. It is not something. He has an amazingly fast arm. Ideally, you so, would like to see that arm slow, as slowly as you could decelerate because his entire upper half brings it down. Deceleration t- is a real t- problem for him because his arm is so stinking fast. And But it's not just that it's so stinking. It's fast, and you have this stiff front side. So instead of it being something where the entire body, you use the entire body to slow down the arm, he basically almost slams into the stiff front side, and then there's the recoil. When we talk about recoil, his arm gets to its natural stopping point. It's almost like it's hit the barrier if you're pulling yeah. off of the interstate and the, the water barrier's there. It hits the barrier, and then it bounces back a little bit. That's not. There's no way that he's going to start that that's going to be what he's going to look like in the big leagues, I don't think. Really? No way? I, Max Scherzer does it has done it for I know. a decade. I, I don't. I do think. So that, no way. I think that I know. I think that a team that gets him is going to say with this that they're going to try and maybe they won't. But 
I like the I like the Justin Verlander comparison where right. this was Verlander because I also don't think he's going to command it. I know Scherzer is the exception. Maybe Pint's that other exception. You know his other I, exception? I, I will say this. Sandy Koufax, his, head, his hat fell off every pitch virtually. It was a head whack. Go back and watch. There's a head whack. You know who else had a head whack? Bob Gibson had a head whack. I'm just saying. No, I'm not saying I shouldn't say no way. I'd say it's unlikely. I'd be a better way to put it. It needs to be smoother. Mm-hmm. There's no question that he will be better coached. I'm not knocking this coaches now. Because he's had. Because I think as a high school level, he's yes. actually there's the, the the performance institute out there has done outstanding a, outstanding work. Hey, how else can it be described? He's got this ridiculous stuff. But not so, that. But they're they're also working with. I mean, Joey we have we have two legit. First round high school arms from Kansas. That doesn't happen. Yeah, we're not in Kansas anymore. Is what it feels like. But uh, I had to say that. But so he'll get smoother. But I will say it again: the superstars are different. The superstars are and, special. And, and you they do stuff a, differently than the rest of us. And Scherzer is a great point to pick up because Scherzer, if you go back, Scherzer is a guy who all through his pretty much until his big league career, yeah, it was always. Unless he changes it, he's going to have right. to be a reliever. And he is strong enough to do it over and over. And you know what? If you said, could Riley Pint be the guy who's strong enough to do that? Yes, yes. Yeah, no, and, I, and I said the rest of us. I mean, superstars do it differently even than the rest of big leaguers. So I, I like that discussion. Um, Yo Soy Joey D, obviously a Tuki Toussaint Braves fan. So the recent mocks have the Braves taking Pint or Groom. Who projects better long term? Who do you take? Asked and answered counselor. Uh, Von Schnellenberger asks, uh, what the Reds are looking at with number two, what would help them the most? And as for Reds international targets, I would say Ben Badler's not on this podcast. Um, we'll come back later for Reds international targets. But number two, JJ. Uh, you know, Reds have the largest bonus pool, at least as of now. Trades could still happen. But as of now. But unlikely to happen. I, right. I'll tell you that. It's, uh, uh, unlikely that there will be significant movement. Yes. It's, teams are, I think teams are starting to value those picks. They want, they want those picks. Yeah. Um, but, and they're only, the only tricks, picks that can be traded, we should explain, are the competitive balance picks. Basically like 35 to 41. Right. There's then, not that many yeah. picks that can be traded. So this is not something where a team could say, we want to move down from 20. Right. You know, that could be a whole other discussion for another right. podcast because I'm, I'm, I'm again trading picks. I and think I'm, you're for I'm, it. And I'm for it. But that's a different discussion, not for today. So, John, you know, I, you, again, you just did the mock. They have the biggest pool. And our mock... You tell it, tell the people what you picked and why you picked it. Well, I went Kyle Lewis because I do think that the uh, Reds would like to get a hitter. I think they're tied more to hitters. And I think that Mercer's Kyle Lewis did it in the Cape. Uh, he's athletic, uh, even though I, I don't buy this. I don't buy the center field. He's, he's athletic for a corner, a future corner outfielder. Right, and and the thing is, the the hesitancy I had with Kyle Lewis is that the most college products who play outfield in the major leagues still are guys who played infield in college. Although, at least you better play center. You better play center. Which he does. Which, he, which he's doing at Mercer. <laughs> I think he's about a 50 runner, so he's, he's probably an average runner. I still don't buy the center field, but it does give me – it heartens me to put him up there. But mainly it's the right-handed power. And just hard to find right-handed power in the game. And, and we've had him comp to guys like Jermaine Dye, or you've had him compared to – other corner right field bats, but not superstars. I think he's signable. There's going to be some swing and miss. I think there's going to be some swing and miss. I think there's going to be big-time power. I think the Kate track record is, is very helpful. 
I do wonder about the analytics with Kyle Lewis because Southern Conference is the most offensive league in the country, but he is dominating that league. He's doing everything that, not everything, because you would in an ideal world you'd see a little fewer, a few fewer strikeouts. He's still walking more than he strikes out, but but, but you're really, you, you're really other than that, he is basically doing what he can do this spring. Right. So, I, and I do think he'll sign a well below slot deal, not super below but slot. But I think but that's the key. Is the that slot's high there? The know, slot's high. The, slide, the, the slot's slide. high there, and. What you are talking with any of the bats, any if they're if they do want a college bat, if they're looking, let's say, let's say you throw bats in there. If they're looking at Lewis, Ray, Senzel, maybe you throw um, uh, Perez in there from the the uh, Puerto Rican. Delvin Perez, I do think Delvin Perez, Perez is, a, is a factor there. But the Puerto Rican assignability standpoint, but also he's got tools to go number two overall. If you if you're talking about those guys, those four bats as the the potential guys that the Reds could look at too. Let's say that they want to go because it would match up better for them. You take best player available, but the reality is is that if there is a bat that they like, it fits better for them. They've got a ton of arms. But if you do that, any one of those guys, if you offered if you're the Reds and you offer them significantly below the slot at two, it's still financially is probably very advantageous for those players because any one of those guys could be in a situation where instead of going two, you go six or seven or eight potentially. Right. And if that happens, the the, the, the cliff that is the top five picks and how much more slotted for the top five picks than a little bit later down means if you're running the risk of going, okay, I can get – I can get 60% of right. slot at two I mean the, or full price slot at six. The red slot at two is $7.76 million. And, and there's no, six, I promise you this, no one that right. they draft is getting that. And at six, it's $4 million and change. $4.069 million. So if you say at so that it's point, almost it's almost double. If you said, we'll give you five. Right. Which, if you get, who, if that guy gets five, Whoever that is, you're going to be one of the four highest paid players in this draft, Correct. almost assuredly. If you get five of that spot, the Reds essentially get two more first round, later first round type That's slots. Right. That's right. They get two more. And for that player, though. And, and they need it, and they pick at 35, which is a 1.8 slot at 35. Right. So one, and one and a half million at 43. So what that does is if they do that, that makes them, we don't know who the player is yet, but that makes them the Astros from last year of this year's draft in many ways. You can't go as you can't go as as much as basically the Astros were able to go over four, four, and four. The other teams that I think could do that are the Padres, who pick 8, 24, and 25, and the Cardinals, who pick have three picks between basically 23 and 34, I believe it right. is. Right, but 23, 30, you know, having that does not, that allows you to either go big on a guy or spread their, it. Their pool is $9 million. So right. between they, 23, 33, and 34, they can get three players for roughly $8 million and pretty much spend $1 million and change on the rest of their draft. And, they're going to get three pretty good players. Right. But you compare that to the Reds, though. The Reds, the Reds could go Certainly. Ahead. But by the time the Reds have their second pick, the Cardinals will have made three. That is true. Cardinals can block the Reds pretty significantly if the Reds try to move someone down and float someone down like Daz Cameron was floated last year. Right. There's a division rival. It's going to be tougher to do that this I don't think they can year. do it. And I don't think the Braves can do it either. I think that they want to. But the Padres and the Cardinals are blocking them. And those two organizations are going to have a lot of power in this draft, and, I think, J.J. And the thing with that is is that what the reality is is that we talk about there's a lot of times that these deals are worked out. 
unofficially, you right. know, to do these kind of things. But all that has to do to blow that up is a team taking you. Yeah. Last year, Daz Cameron fell. But if there was a team... At hey, the Astros pretty much had it done with Sean Maniah in 2013. They were one pick away from the Sean Maniah gambit. And they didn't do it. And hey, Sean Maniah would have been better than the guy they took first overall in Mark Appel. So but they, had, they came but that's one the pick away from working it. I mean... You just look at, you know, the, the reality is is that the Dodgers had clearly not worked out a deal with Kyle Funkhauser before they took him last year. But there may have been other teams out there thinking, hey, we can get Funkhauser, we can work out a deal. Right. Once that player's taken, that's who's taking him. And that's the only team you could negotiate with. And so, Yeah, looking forward to seeing uh, an apparently resurgent Funkhauser on Sunday. His last start was very good against St. John's and reports of him at the 96 miles an hour. You know, pitch seven scoreless innings, nine strikeouts. There are a number of fascinating wild cards in this draft. Yeah, no doubt. He's won Alec Hansen, who we're... He's so hot right now. Actually, no, he's not. <laughs> but Alec Hansen is another one that's that's fascinating to try to figure out just what's going to happen. I mean, there's there's a number of them. What do you got? What do you got on, uh, on Alec Hansen? I what think, do you think that Alec Hansen mentioned... was two... Uh, was number two on our board coming out on the college side, and and we don't. About, I'll say this now. though: we did talk about it last fall when it was announced that he was not going to pitch in basically in fall ball for the for the Sooners. That was a we that was a concern because you were talking about a guy who already had you know not pitched in summer ball. That was going to be the chance to kind of see him before the season. It really was. It ended up being a harbinger of, of what's been a very rough junior year, there has been that start. There was the one start he's had so far. But beyond that, I mean, it is something where I think he is a perfect fit for a team who has multiple picks. Yeah. He's not the first guy you take. He's the third guy you take. And then you can say, you look at, Good I mean, call. it's like, it's it's somewhat Machuela-esque. You know, what we saw what happened with Michael Machuela last also year. Also a good call. Where... Machuela, the Rangers draft from last year is not going to be based on Michael Machuela getting healthy and returning to the form that he flashed right. at his best. If he does, that's a bonus for him. Dylan Tate will determine that draft class. If Dylan Tate has a good career and Michael Machuela never returns to form, the Rangers can say, well, it was a gamble and it didn't work out. I'll, I'll, I will say it's a $2 million gamble. It's a $2 million gamble. You, you hire a whole scouting department for $2 million. Yes, I'm just but, saying that. Yes, but that's the reality is it's a $2 million gamble. But if, again, if, you, if, if Dylan Tate and, and or Eric Jenkins end up being a solid big league regular for them, Michael Bechuela was uh, essentially is, a, is another bite at the apple you hope you get a payoff from. Right. You do not. That's what I'm saying with Alec Hansen is you don't want to make Alec Hansen where you're depending on, well, if Alec Hansen works out. I I, think Machuela comp is a great comp. But if you are saying that we've got this guy and we've got this guy and we've got Alec Hansen, you can then say, you know what, we got him with our third pick. But at his best, if he can stay healthy. He could be the best player in this class. We have seen top of the draft stuff. And the great thing about it in pro ball is, is, and this isn't a knock on Oklahoma because at Oklahoma you've got to your job is to win games for Oklahoma in the season. But Alec Hansen goes to pro ball. I don't care how bad he is for ten starts, he's going to be making start eleven and right. twelve and thirteen and fourteen if he's healthy. And what that allows him to do is is if there is a rough stretch and he and and his control's awful and he's getting his brains beat in somewhere in low A or high A, it's no big deal. Because you're going to take the ball again five days later, 
and try it again. That's right. No, it's a huge difference. There's no doubt. And uh, it is amazing how many of the top college guys from this year's draft, even these college pitchers, they were big-time guys out of high school, and they wound up going to big colleges, and it's going to be very – and one of the guys who's falling, not the same as Alec Hansen, is Connor Jones, J.J. He got a rap on. And what more could Connor Jones do? He was the number two starter for Virginia most of last year. Then when Nathan Kirby got hurt, he and Brandon Waddell were kind of co-number ones. Waddell was outstanding, now already in double-A mm-hmm. with, uh, with the Pirates, trying to erase some of this negative stigma – around Virginia pitchers um, because their track record in pro ball has not been good. But Connor Jones does the National Pitching Association. He does the, the mechanics that are distinctive to Virginia. He's done them since he was a high school sophomore, I believe. I know he did them as a high school if junior. You draft I saw him, him in Chicago. If you draft him, please, I'm begging you, do not bring him in and then the next week say, yeah, hey, we're going to take this. this yeah. We're going to take all this. No. This is who you're drafting. He is who he is. Draft that and say – we're going to ride it with that yep. until some legitimate reason. And I mean that from the standpoint of, like, I don't he think broke you can change him or... until he gets hurt. Right. I don't think you can change him until he gets hurt. If he doesn't get hurt, this is the guy he is. Or if you're talking about 27-year-old Connor Jones and it hadn't worked out, okay, fine, do it. But his rise up through the minors, what you're seeing now is what you should see. And I, and I keep on hearing he's falling. He's backing up down in draft boards. He... Looks like he should be the number two guy in the college pitching class. He's not going to be number two. I don't think he's going to be number three. He may not even be the number one pitcher in the ACC now, JJ, because TJ Zoik, whom he beat head to head last week, and has outperformed and, and has, has outperformed has, has for two a longer years. track record. And he has pitched against him last year. I'm pretty sure he pitched against him last year down here in Cary. I know Virginia and Pitt matched up. Uh, they were on the they were at the same complex yeah. at Cary the same weekend. So I just don't know. Like, and, and Connor Jones should be a first-round pick. I think he will be a first-round pick, but he's fallen. Okay. He's won a national championship. He's 9-1 with a 195 Ernie this year. Now his strikeout rate is, is down. It was basically one per nine, one per inning last year, uh, 55 strikeouts, and, 78 innings this year. So his strikeout rate is down. That's one reason why his stock is down. What would you do with Connor Jones? Would you touch him? Would you Would you draft him? I don't think you're a fan of what they have, how they do it. Um, I would – Kind of where the spot he's going to end up. I mean, in that twenty to thirty-three range. If he and if you're sitting there at twenty, I think I have him at sixteen in the mock, and I'm already getting feedback that I should have had him lower. But if you're talking in that twenty range, yeah, because at that point, let's say he, if he's the fourth college pitcher off the board, yeah, if he's the fourth or fifth. Yeah. Well, the guys that I'm comparing him to, I mean, those guys have hickeys too. If you're this, comparing, this, was a, this would be this kind of ties it back up because I had him going to the Angels. And I, I think if he were healthy, he could be the Angels' number four starter right if, now. If they drafted Connor Jones, you have to think, okay, would he be making starts in August? <laughs> you know, I mean, he's throwing seventy-eight innings this year already, so he'll have. Yeah, he'll, they're, they're, the problem is, is he will be have, tough. It'd be tough, but um, but no, I, I do think because at that point, then we just said when you talk about the top guys, okay, so we all agree Puck is the the top guy. After that. Then it's probably Dakota Hudson. Then I'd say Jordan Sheffield's probably in that mix. Yeah, I think Jordan Sheffield and TJ Zoik are the TJ Zoik's in that. And then you are talking, it's like Robert Tyler, and it's yes. it's guys like that. And Robert Tyler is, I, I'd rather have Connor Jones because as, I agree. Tyler has a great arm, but Robert Tyler, there's a lot less likelihood of him being a big league starter. 
there's very good likelihood of him being a big league reliever, but there's less likelihood of him being a starter than Connor Jones. That, I think that's, to me at that point, yes. I, again, it's all about comparable risk to me. You, yes, is there some, where you look yeah. at the impact versus risk of Connor Jones, if I'm talking about him versus Jordan Sheffield, well, Jordan Sheffield has significantly higher upside, I think. He does. He throws up to 98 miles an hour. He's also six feet tall. He's got a medical. You know, he's got but, Tommy John in his background. He's six feet tall, but at the same time, I mean, we quick do arm. have. We have. He's a quick arm, and we have a number. We have really. I think we have blown that up a little bit. You know, if we were talking a few years ago and we we're talking about the draft, and we would be uh, uh, talking about Strowman, it's like, well, you know, there are no guys like that, hmm. and yeah. it's like. Marcus Stroman is way, way He's shorter, shorter for sure. than Sheffield. And I think Jordan Sheffield might be retweeting the mock draft today with an HDMH uh, uh, hashtag. So now you might be right, and that might work in uh, Justin Dunn's favor as well. You know, slight-bodied, 6'1", 184-pound listed Boston College right-hander who he might wind up. So, so Connor Jones, to me, I think there's an argument, a case to be made for Connor Jones as the number two college arm in the draft class. Track record-wise, I think he has a very right. strong case. And I think there's a chance he could be the third ACC starter drafted after Justin Dunn and TJ Zoik in some order, and then he'd be third. That's, that's kind of – there's volatility in this draft class. There's risk. There's a lot of fun and a fun podcast. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hope you enjoyed the mock draft. Now stay tuned an hour in. We're going to talk to a guy who went through all this last year. That's, that's JJ's interview. We talk about. That's JJ's interview with Paul DeYoung, who is on kind the of hot sheet this week. Prospect hot sheet member, Cardinals uh, farmhand, kind of a, a poor man's Will Craig in, in some ways. No, 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 no. Will Craig's going to go in the first round. Right, right, right. But there, there are some differences in that. Paul DeYoung, I think, body wise and all, you, you are talking about defensive questions. Right hand power doesn't have Will Craig's arm strength and didn't perform like Will Craig. So here's more with Paul DeYoung. And until then, until next week's podcast. We'll talk to you next time. So long, everybody. We're fortunate enough today to be joined on the Baseball America podcast by Cardinals third baseman Paul DeYoung. And, and Paul, when I say that, now I can say Cardinals third baseman. There was a time where it would have been Illinois State third baseman, second baseman, catcher. I know I'm leaving some out there. Outfield a little bit. Do you <laughs> yeah, have now one glove? Right field towards the end. Do you have one glove now, or do you still have a, a, a multiple gloves in the uh, in the locker? No, I really only have one glove now, but I guess I could use it to play a little infield. But I'm sticking at third base so far. How does that make it? A, is it a little different when you're focusing on one position every day? It actually helps me lock in a little bit more when I, you know, when I take BP, we take ground balls and stuff. I really get to focus on third base and then. You know, obviously in the game, you just you get the game experience all at third base, which is probably the uh, position I have the least experience at. So really, I'm just gaining more experience at third, and you know, I'm liking it so far. That is the funny thing about this is is that when you were in college, third base was I mean you played there, but that was what third, fourth, fifth most common position for you. Yeah, really. I mean. I was mainly second base and catcher and then a little bit of third base. But, uh, you know, I, I'll do anything to get in the lineup. It, the position really doesn't matter to me as much. Uh, I really just want to hit and be in there every day. So if they want to put me at third, I'm fine with that. When when you were growing up, if you were kind of envisioning, you know, dreaming of, you know, one day I hope to be a big leaguer, what position did you kind of see yourself when you were a teenager or a kid? What position did you see yourself 
end up you know playing in the big leagues at? Shortstop, but that's probably almost all infielders yeah. <laughs> that that were pretty good. Uh, I guess played shortstop, and then uh, you know obviously got moved. But the way I see it is, if you can play shortstop at a young age, you can play pretty much any position. Right. I mean, it is something where you play there and you you are already preparing to play a whole lot of other positions down the road. Basically, yeah. <laughs> well, well, you as you mentioned, you caught some too, though. What I mean, do you take something from that, even though you're not a catcher anymore? Is there? I mean, obviously, it's a little bit of a different position. There's a lot kind of involved in it beyond just you know catching the ball, throwing the ball. Is that still something that yeah, kind of sticks I, with you? Yeah, I really think I just got a little taste of catching. Um, you know, I kind of was never a primary catcher at Illinois State. I was always the second catcher, but. You know, when I was back there, I really enjoyed it. You know, it's kind of a, a different different view of the field, obviously. You're facing everybody else, but the, you know, the thinking aspect I really like, controlling the game and controlling the pitcher and, and call pitches and stuff like that. I really like that part of the position, but, you know, physically it's pretty tough. And, you know, in a minor league season and a full, full 140-something games, that's, that's a tough position to play, but... You know, I think I always have that in my back pocket if I ever need to return to it. And, you know, I really enjoyed it when I was doing it. The thing that jumps out so far in your pro career, had a really good debut last year, went to the Midwest League, and, and, and again, an excellent pro debut. So you come in this year. A lot of times I feel like players that come out of spring training a little bit disappointed because, you know, you set your goal of, of getting to a level and, and often that, that – you end up a little short of that just because guys move a little slower than guys would like to move. In your case, you end last year in low A. I'm guessing the goal coming into the year maybe was, you know, maybe if I have a really good spring, I can make it to double A. Or was that something you knew was a possibility? Because obviously you jump straight to double A. That's a pretty aggressive assignment for a first full season. Yeah, um, you know, I was expecting to go to Palm Beach just like it is the next step, but... Um you know, I, I'm not too surprised that they sent me to, you know, Springfield. I think I can handle it. And, you know, I know that going in my first full season, there's a lot of things I need to learn about how to handle, you know, the whole year. But, you know, I'm up for the challenge, and i got good people around me that are going to help me through it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm just excited every day to go to the park. Springfield is an awesome town, and, and I'm really looking forward to playing here all summer. When you, again, you got a taste of, of a pretty good taste of low A, I think like, you know, 50-something games. What do you notice different from Double A from from playing in the you know in Low A? I'd say the pitching is a uh, is a little bit better. Pitchers have a little more idea of how they want to pitch you with the you know sequences and and the, even the ability to execute those sequences. So you really got to lock in a little bit more. Um, obviously, I need to fine tune my approach because you know if I don't know what I'm doing up there, then I'm gonna have a tough time trying to figure out what he's doing. So. Uh, really, it's just about uh, you know just a little bit, a little bit faster speed of the game, but you know it's all about adjustments. That's what baseball is, and you know you got to keep making them. It's not going to ever be easy, but you're just going to have to bear down and, and and have have some success. Is with that you see that I mean, do pitchers? Is it a little less predictable now? Is it something where you get ahead in the count? You're, it's not as certain you're going to see them go to the fastball. I mean, is it? Something where they're they're willing to double up now a little bit in a way that maybe in low A they weren't they weren't as willing to as for yeah, the pitchers. I'd say you see uh, a little bit more uh, you know off speed stuff and and what you would typically think were hitters counts. Um, 
but you know that's just all about <laughs> that's just all about recognition though and and if you're in those good types of counts i feel like you can see the breaking ball better so you just got to be mindful of that and uh you know, the way I see it is you always want to stay on the fastball. You know, some guys have pretty good breaking balls, and even if I know it's coming, I don't really want to hit that pitch. Um, so really, for me, it's all about staying on the fastball and, and trying to recognize that breaking stuff and take that and, and uh, you know, hopefully hit the mistake, the hanging breaking ball, as opposed to the, the one that's low and away or the slider in the dirt. But, and you said, I mean, it's something, it is kind of a continual battle of adjustments it's also something where when you make that jump to a, to a level like, you know, to make you skip a level, the, do you have to kind of make sure that you kind of have the right mentality on it? Like not, you kind of an expectation, no, as you said, I'm ready to handle this. It's not something where you go, okay, well, am I ready to handle it? You got to kind of tell yourself, you got to know that you are ready to handle it, right? Exactly, yeah. But w- the other part with that is, is you and Harrison Bader drafted third, fourth round together, went to low A together. You guys both made the jump here. It, it does seem like that you have. It's not you're not the only one doing this. There's another guy's kind of on a very similar kind of career path to you that's kind of been going step by step right along the same ways that you are. Yeah, and we definitely help each other out. We kind of, you know, try to figure out what the pitcher's doing, um, talking the dugout and stuff, and we become pretty good friends. So you know, it's good to go through uh, you know through this experience with somebody that's kind of in the same boat as me, and and we get along great. And, uh, and it's going to continue to try to move up the ranks with them, and uh, you know, have our fun. As you talk, as we talked about, you you're playing third base now every day. The other thing that jumps out is the Cardinals are an organization that year in year out seems to do a really good job of working on guys' defense. That a lot of times they've taken guys who there are some defensive questions and they end up being better defenders at the big league level or they're able to play a position at the big league level that mo- most people didn't think they would be able to handle in the minors. We look at, you know, what Matt Carpenter's done. We look at John Jay playing center yeah. field, a lot of examples like that. Could you just talk a little bit about, what I mean, what does kind of your daily progression, you know, what what do you work on defensively on a daily you know basis but also kind of on a bigger picture basis, spring training and all included? Yeah, I'd say it started in spring training. Um, well, actually, it even started last year when uh, the Rovers were coming into town. Um, Pop Warner is the defensive uh, rover, the infield rover. And, uh, you know, he just wanted to make sure that I had the fundamentals down. Like, um, he thought I was a pretty decent fielder, but uh, I could work on my footwork a little bit. But my hands were pretty good. So, really, it's been about footwork for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but into spring training, we worked a lot on it, you know, just – I was one of the few third basemen over there, so I got a lot of reps with, with the, um, every day. And even going to step camp, which was the early minor league camp, I was there for a few weeks before everyone else got there. So I got plenty of reps. And you know, honestly, I feel a lot better this year at third than I did last year. And it's and it's game experience is um, you know helping me out even more. So you know, it's all about you know trying to make improvements from wherever you're starting from. And I think I'm definitely definitely making improvements. And when you talk about your footwork, I mean, one of the things obviously with that is is you're trying to work on it to where the right footwork becomes natural, right? Because right. you can't obviously, especially at third base, it's not something where you can be thinking about it during the, you know, when a, when a ball's, uh, a hot smash is hit at you. But right. how long does that progression take? I mean, is it something you're starting to notice it, that your footwork is, is where you're set like you want to be, you know, as you're making yeah. the play now, or is it still in progress? 
the biggest adjustment I think I made was the, like the pre-pitch, um, you know, the way to get yourself ready for a ground ball. Mm-hmm. I think before I was starting a little flat-footed, and, and I had a tough time if, if the ball wasn't like right at me, I would be a little bit late getting there, and then obviously late with the glove getting down and having a tough time feeling some balls. But um, I think with my new pre-pitch routine, I kind of get a little hop, and uh, it kind of, you know, like a tennis player almost returning a serve where you get that little little hop and then you're ready to change directions wherever the ball's hit. So I've been working on the timing of that, and I think that's really helped me to get to some balls and get there in, in plenty of time to get the glove down and, and make the play. The other thing that third seems a little different than, like you, as you said, you've played second and some other places in the past, but it's, it's figuring out how to make sure you're not in between on hops. You, you have a little less time to react to that, obviously, at third. Has that been an adjustment? No, I'd say when the ball smashes you, you just got to do whatever you can to knock it down. Um, I do think that I could work on, you know, a ball that's hit kind of hard to my backhand. I think sometimes I get stuck in the middle where I either I don't go get the short hop or I don't, you know, go get the long hop, so I kind of get stuck there. So that's one thing I would like to work on a little bit more, but... You know, I think I have pretty good hands, so sometimes I can get away with getting um, in between hop. But really, you know, you're trying to get the short hop or long hop as much as possible, and you'll have pretty good success out there in the field. But, well, I also wanted to ask you about, you've gone through the draft process a couple of times, and obviously the next draft's coming up. About your past, when, when you went through it, you know, last year and were drafted by the Cardinals. Mm-hmm. Kind of thinking back on that, what, if you were talking to a player who hasn't gone through it yet, is there any piece of advice you would give them as far as kind of, especially here we are, really, it's, there's a month and a little bit, you know, a month and a half left till the draft, but it's kind of a very key month and a half kind of coming up to the draft. Yeah, uh, I would just say to just have fun and, and play the game, you know. If you're thinking about signing, then this is probably going to be your last year of college, and college baseball is very different than, than pro baseball, but it's also, you know, a lot of fun. You know, you have to enjoy all the times with your teammates and your coaches because that stuff that stuff goes away pretty quick. So um, I would say just try to be in the moment and and enjoy every 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 game and every pitch and don't worry about uh, who's who's in the stands watching you, who sent you questionnaires. All that stuff can cloud your cloud your head and, and affect your performance. But I think if you just really focus on playing the game and having fun with with your teammates that you you know you spend so much time and have such good bonds with, that that's all you can really do. And at the end of the day, whatever happens is going to happen. How, how different was it going through the process last year? You were redshirted, uh, so you had mm-hmm. you had a chance. You were drafted as well in in fourteen. Was that? A, I mean, were you really focused at all in the draft process that year, or was it something where you were pretty confident that you were going to head back for for at least another year? Yeah, fourteen and fifteen were completely different drafts. Uh, type years. Um, obviously, in 14, we had, I think, six six guys drafted off that team. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I wasn't one of the main prospects coming in, and, and I just happened to get seen by all those scouts that were coming to see the other guys. So that's really what I think happened in 14. Um, you know, I was... But then you had that big summer, too. Did that... Yeah, it was like... Like I was going to say, I, I was actually heading out to BP during the draft. I mean, I had a few questionnaires sent to me and a few contacts with teams, but it wasn't crazy. So I was thinking it was like the 38th round, and, and I was like, damn, I guess I'm not getting drafted. And I, I was heading out to BP, and then someone that was following on it 
in the clubhouse told me that, you know, the Pirates just picked me, and I was just, I couldn't believe it. Um, but I was pretty confident I was heading back to school because, you know, I, was, I wanted to get my degree, and they picked me as a catcher pretty late. So I, it, everything just didn't feel right. And then, uh, you know, I went on to have the great summer in the Northwoods League, and I think that really solidified it, and that's when I knew that I had a chance to be a pretty pretty high-round pick. So that's when I started to you know, develop that mentality of just going out there and trying to have fun with my teammates and play college baseball and all that all that goes along with it. You know, it turned out to be a pretty good uh, pretty good pick for me with the Cardinals. But also, you had a, a little bit of injury problems last year, if I remember right as well, that it kind of, yeah. I mean, it was your hammock, wasn't it? Your hand? No, it was, I was actually catching, it was this, I think it was the second to last series in the Valley and I was behind the plate, and I uh, took a foul ball through the glove and broke my thumb. Ooh. Uh, right at, right underneath the nail, basically. It was, it was one of those things that I wasn't sure it was broken at the time, and I kept playing, and I actually even played a doubleheader against Indiana State the next weekend, and, and it was really painful, and then I realized that it's probably broken. <laughs> got an x-ray, which I don't know why I didn't get an x-ray before, but... Um, you know, it turned out it was broken. I think that scared a lot of teams that maybe wanted me as a catcher. And, uh, you know, I couldn't be happier to be with the Cardinals as a third baseman. So I think it all worked out in the end for me. How did you find out? I mean, how did that kind of process? Because, again, it's a little different being drafted in the fourth round than in 38th. I'm guessing you weren't yeah. uh, kind of, well, I guess, we'll, you know, we'll find out when we find out. Yeah, um, I guess uh, – I got a little bit of contact from teams, you know, right after the day one, which mm-hmm. was first and second round. I think a few teams called me, and the Cardinals, I think, may have been texting me some stuff, just asking about signability and things. My scout, um, my area scout, Tom LaPerry. Um, but the day of, uh, the morning of, it was pretty nerve-wracking because I figured today's the day, third through tenth round. I figured that was going to be my day. and um, You know, the Cardinals – came down it was like their, their pick was coming up and and they they were calling me and saying will you sign for this will you sign for this I'm like yes yes I just want to I really I want to be with the Cardinals that was that was my hope and uh you know the I was watching the draft on the screen and well you know my name comes across on the board on the on the Cardinals pick and then then I got the call and then uh, all sorts of calls started pouring in from family and friends and now it was a great day how long was it from there? I mean, like, is the next couple of days after that? I mean, because, again, you are you were talking a situation where it wasn't going to be a month of negotiations on the contract. Is the next couple of days after that pretty much, I mean, a blur? Um, you know, the negotiations were pretty simple. It was, it was kind of like what we had, uh, you know, arranged before. But, um, you know, it, it kind of went by quickly, and I was just really excited to just get down to Jupiter and sign, but then again, I was also uh, still still dealing with that thumb thing mm-hmm. that wasn't quite healed yet, so that that was in the back of my mind, but, you know, I was just so happy that the Cardinals picked me as a third baseman, and that way I can go out there and hit and play the infield, and that was just a perfect, perfect situation for me, and it still is. The other thing, as you mentioned, that worked out was is by not signing as a 38th rounder, you also finished your degree. And I have to ask you, so biochemistry, that's not exactly a uh, 
that's not an easy path. But what what led you kind of down the path of biochemistry? And, and I mean, long term, what you know, after your baseball career, what what would you hope to kind of maybe be able to do with that? Well, I came into college just thinking, you know, four years, just try to get a good solid degree that you can, you know, have a decent career with because I wasn't sure about baseball being, you know, the chance at the professionals. Um, so, yeah, I chose biochemistry, maybe thinking I would apply to medical school after the four years. But, you know, after my redshirt sophomore year, which was been my third year of school, um, you know, I was thinking there's, there's no way I'm going to, I'm going to give up this baseball thing until they force me out of it. So right now I'm just going to, you know, focus on, you know, everything I can do to keep playing this game. And, um, you know, if that comes a time that I need to jump back on that biochemistry degree, then I, I, I might, but you know, really, I just, I love this game so much. And I don't think I ever want to leave it. Well, great. Well, that's been, we've been talking with Cardinals third baseman, Paul DeYoung. Paul, again, I really do appreciate the time, and thank you for joining us on the Baseball America podcast. Thanks, JJ. I really appreciate it. I, 